We are just five weeks away from NFL Draft Eve, and three of the top four quarterbacks in the draft have their pro day this week. We've recently released mock drafts from Daniel Jeremiah and Mel Kuyper. have shifted the top of the board odds a bit. We'll likely continue to see a shift over the next few days when the pro day details roll in. Today on Move the Line, we're going to break down the Jeremiah and Kuyper mocks and the live line movement that is followed. Cue the music. And welcome to Move the Line. Ryan Noonan joined here as always by my fellow draft aficionados, Connor Allen, Scott Smith. Connor, start with you. Just released mock draft number two. Five weeks away, buddy. We're getting there. Yeah, it feels good. We also got word uh, from some people at DraftKings that they will be releasing more markets this week. So if you're listening to this uh, later in the week, hopefully these are already up. That's exciting news. I was getting a little bit worried they weren't going to release many markets, but I'm pumped because the more markets, the more money we can make. Yeah, we are recording uh, here on a Wednesday morning-ish. Uh, and just for context, because this is a very fluid time of year, uh, we mentioned at the top we have Pro Days starting this week. And I know Scott Smith is ready for that. Scott, how are we doing? Good, 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 man. Getting through this last little bit of cold spell uh, down here in Louisiana, which is what y'all would probably call normal weather where y'all are at. But look, man, I'm pumped up, man. These pro days are coming. I think uh, there's going to be a window here to to go ahead and place some bets uh, over next 24 to 48 hours with uh, the, the quarterbacks hitting the field and the media, which is going to go crazy with the superlatives, uh, you know, pumping up some of these guys. But uh, you've had some market movement there at the top uh, with uh, CJ Stroud's numbers kind of getting a little bit more friendly and um look man it's 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 time this is this is where we the ball starts rolling and the momentum keeps going and uh you know some of these markets are actually starting to open up with uh some player to team props and and things of that nature so it's time it's time to get going yeah the over-unders i think are because i feel like i've multiple times in the last couple of shows have been a wet blanket a little bit i've been like oh pause don't rush into anything i feel like early opening over-unders if you've been grinding and if, again, if you've been listening to the show, you've been consuming uh, Scott and Connor's mocks on the site, the Jeremiah mock, the Kuiper mock, all the stuff that we've had today, if you're in it, like there is an advantage getting in really early on some of these over-unders. I think that there are some you know, advantages to get into some really nice closing line value in terms of where things are going to be five weeks from now based off of, of where we're at. So I think using some of these mocks to guide, especially some names that we see at the tail end of drafts, you know, guys that are falling out, guys that are falling down, guys that continue to pop up at the bottom of drafts that create some opportunities uh, to kind of piece through and think there might be some opportunities when those over-unders pop. So uh, I will remind you, if you want to get access to all of the official picks and plays that we have coming out over at 444, you need a betting subscription. 444.com slash plans gets you access to literally everything on the site for the full year, take you all through 2023 into February of next year. So through football season next year, if you're grinding best ball this off season, if you play DFS, uh, if you like other sports, Scott does a great work on the MMA side with bets and picks for that. So we're still grinding the NCAA tournaments, NBA. Uh, we'll have lots of other stuff coming this summer as well. Check that out. If you want to get access to it for cheap, we've partnered with Vivid. Uh, Vivid Picks, you can go over a deposit minimum of $15.00. Use promo code 444BETS and you will get a three-month betting subscription. Get you the taste that what we have here through the draft season, uh, through the NBA draft, another market that we love to hit there as well. Uh, so check that out a couple of different ways for you to, to get access to it. And um, you know, get access to the subscriber-only Discord, which I think is just itself pays for the subscription. Uh, again, like-minded community. Again, you get all of the official plays pushed through there as well. Continue to have a just crap ton of top level tools on the site as well what we're doing for next year already uh, is just going to be another notch up there and you know no matter what you're doing in the football space in speculation football fantasy dfs best ball betting we have an insane uh, plethora of tools for you to get access to so uh producer sal if you could bring up the mocks we're gonna kind of walk through uh some of the differences some of the Things that are similar in terms of what Mel Kuyper Jr. has mocked out there and Daniel Jeremiah. Um, I think at the top we should acknowledge the Jeremiah mock, Connor, because I think we all really trust Daniel Jeremiah in what he does, his connections, his mock drafts. Um, somewhat has stated that this mock in particular is maybe a little unique. 
Uh, I don't really know how to say the right way, uh, but maybe not necessarily exactly what he thinks or what he's hearing, but a little bit of a kind of fuck around and find out kind of mock. Yeah. I mean, so he talked about it on another podcast right after he released the mock and said that he wanted to quote, try out some different scenarios, different spots. And I think that's what a lot of what we see here. My initial reaction to his latest mock was that it's not something we should put a ton of stock into, but it is again, another kind of just like thought process here and thinking through some of the picks if they go a different way. And so like he even mentioned at the top here with the first overall pick, he is Bryce Young, Mel Kuyper is CJ Stroud. He mentioned about Bryce Young that he wanted to just see what it looked like if you put Bryce Young at the top and that he would pick Bryce Young at the top, but it's not necessarily what he's hearing uh, with Young going number one. And I think that's an important distinction for a guy like Jeremiah who normally is super keyed in normally is very, very accurate with his mock drafts and a guy that you should pay attention to. But I guess for this mock, it's just one of those things that we need to not necessarily take it with a grain of salt, but take everything into that context of, okay, he's just trying a lot of different things out here, even if a lot of picks are something that he would definitely do or think happens. Yeah, the interesting thing to me with that is that you're not changing positions. So you're like, it messes around, put Bryce Young there, Stroud. it doesn't really necessarily have a trickle-down effect to anything else there in the draft. But uh, Scott, what are your initial impressions there? Look, it makes a perfect sense uh, for a guy like Daniel Jeremiah, who's been among the most accurate, 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 excuse me, um, within the mainstream media. I, I think he does a better job than both McShay and Kuyper nine times out of ten. Um, you start to look at some of these names and, and you see within the first round, you see some guys like Brian Branch, Brian Brzee, Osiris Torrance, you know, some guys that you see across other mock drafts that are that are obviously missing in this mock draft. And then you see with the Daniel Jeremiah mock draft, Maisie Smith, Joe Tipman, um, you know, Hendon Hooker to to Minnesota. So you see some some things that are are different than what you're seeing from other mock drafters and, and different from, you know, other things that are being reported. All right, Connor, today, as we record, it's Wednesday. It is uh, pro day for Ohio State and based off of this Daniel Jeremiah mock draft we did see a little bit of Bryce Young buyback in the marketplace shifting the number one overall pick uh, in first quarterback selected markets slightly we talked about last episode the CJ Stroud stuff was kind of like a match in the fire when that trade happened and the Stroud stuff really ballooned out you know, upwards to like minus 400 at some points stabilized a little bit closer to like minus 250 and now we've had you know a little bit of young steam, uh, again, off of the Daniel Jeremiah mock, which makes sense. Again, he's a reputable source. Uh, but again, no real information in terms of it. But again, a perhaps a buying opportunity on C.J. Stroud. We were interested in that last week. I know we got in when that first happened, caught it on the way up. Um, but where are you feeling in terms of where that number one overall pick market is? Uh, when do you want to jump in on Stroud? Because like, again, we probably have a short window as we record now, by the time the listeners are listening, we, we're going to already have, you know, Stroud highlight reel from pro day. Um, should we get in on Stroud now or should we wait through the other pro days kind of facilitate? Yeah. Uh, the key difference here, or the key thing is that Stroud's pro day is before Bryce Young. So you're probably going to see Stroud's price shoot up a little bit uh, as the day continues and Stroud performs well. The entire Panthers organization essentially is at his pro day right now. They sent the GM, the coaches, the QB coach, their entire media department is there. Um, and now that being said, all of the same people are also going to Bryce Young's pro day as well as Will Levis's pro day on Friday. So I think there is going to be better buying opportunities here on CJ Stroud. I'm actually really happy that the price got bumped down a little bit because on top of Jeremiah, Todd McShay went on ESPN and said, Hey, I've been hearing that it's going to be Bryce Young at number one. Now, you know, he prefaced that by saying that the person who told him that is someone who works with a lot of QBs and that is someone who has never been wrong, but could also change his mind in a couple of weeks. So for me, that means that he's talking with some kind of agents or some kind of QB coaches that work with like multiple QBs at the same time. And to me, agents are actually the worst sources of information. And from my understanding, they get lied to all the time by teams. They are relatively delusional in terms of their own players and where they think they're going to go. So my experience with agents have not been good. So if we kind of wrap that back in here, I'm personally really interested on in buying in CJ Stroud. If he gets to that minus 120, minus 125 range, um, I will definitely be adding more to my current portfolio because I think we could see plus money, but you just don't know like which one of these 
I guess, media personnel are going to sell out a little bit and say, hey, I'm going to make a mock that's just different to be different. And like that stuff moves the market, but we just don't know who's going to do that. I didn't think Jeremiah would do that, but he is. So like if we get more of this stuff, you might see like even money, you know, for CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, which in my opinion is still a great, great buying opportunity here for Stroud. Yeah, I agree. If you're waiting to get back in on the Stroud thing, I think you wait until the Bryce Young pro day minimally. I'll let a little bit of you know Bryce steam catch up, you know, jump into the CJ Stroud market. Um, I still feel like we're a little bit away. You know, I got in on Stroud too. I want to probably wait until we feel a little bit more confident in it. But I do think we are hearing a little bit of Stroud drumbeat that I think we need to pay attention to. Again, these are the top two picks in both mock drafts, just flip-flopped in terms of landing spots. Uh, we know that last couple of years, the Texans have been a little bit of a you know tight trap in terms of letting information out. Um, we'll go down and skip there. Scott, I'll let you talk about any of that if you want to. But the interesting thing in Kuiper's draft is he has a trade between the Colts and Cardinals with the 3-4 swap. Uh, Will Anderson leaning with the Cardinals on both mocks. Uh, again, first defensive player off the board. Checks that box as well. Um, quarterback goes to both. Kuiper has the Colts trading up for Will Levis. Jeremiah has the Colts staying home at four and landing Anthony Richardson. What are your thoughts, Scott? Look, I, I think we've been hitting on a Will Anderson uh, thing for a while. I, I think he's a good bet to go ahead and be the first one off the board. Um, you know, look, specifically when we start talking about this this three position with, with the Cardinals, I, I think they're in a good position to uh, go ahead and, and move back. Um, when you start talking about it, it's it's interesting where you're kind of choosing between Will Levis and Anthony Richardson. I just tend to lean for the Colts. I tend to lean a little bit more towards the Levis side. Um, I, I just think he's a little bit more ready to to play now. I think that that team has, you know, some solid players there, and, and I, I don't know that. Anthony Richardson's going to make that that team hugely better, um, you know, having a start from the jump. Um, I, I actually like where Mel Kuyper has Seattle here at five, uh, drafting Anthony Richardson. When I start to, to look at it, I, I definitely think that the Raiders are in play. I, I think that the Colts could be in play, but I lean, lean towards the Levis. But Seattle's in a perfect position here at five to allow the board to fall down to them. You know, they, they went ahead – and locked up quarterback for the next couple of years. And that's that's solid as far as being a bridge. Um, you know, if you have four quarterbacks come off the board, then Will Anderson falls right there in their lap as the, the top defensive player. And I think they definitely go that route. If Will Anderson goes off, you know, before to, to the Cardinals where everybody has him mocked, uh, I think then you have a, a good position for Anthony Richardson to be able to come sit for a year or two and develop and then go ahead and, and lead that team on with, you know, a little bit young receiving core. And the other issue is they have that, that pick there at 20, which you see wide receiver drafted to in both of these mocks. They have the ability to go ahead and use one of these picks on a quarterback and still be able to surround the rest of your team with talent and, and you know, whatever they decide to pick at 20. Yeah, that's a good, I think that's a really good point. The, you know, interested to see that Richardson, you know, in both mocks is a top five pick, uh, you know, early mocks, which is considered him maybe a little bit more raw, uh, maybe the fourth quarterback on the board. And I just think that we're a little bit past that. Uh, it is really, really kind of back and forth and jumbled. The interesting thing that stands out is like a sore thumb here is Will Levis goes three, <clears throat> Connor in, in Kuiper's draft. He's going until 19 in Daniel Jeremiah's draft, which is really interesting, especially when you consider Kuiper has them trading up, the Colts trading up to secure Levis, which I think is you know interesting too. So not only that a team has identified him as their guy, a team is willing to get ahead of other teams willing to trade up to get him. So um, again, context of Jer Jer Daniel Jeremiah's draft is important, uh, but what are your thoughts about the whole Will Levis thing here and, and kind of the discrepancy? Yeah, there's been some buzz on Twitter recently you know, saying Will Levis could fall. I saw Dane, Dane Brusler talk about it a little bit, but I think that that's just infusing too much of our own evaluations and opinions and not really, you know, kind of reconciling with the current demand in the QB market. And so like, if we look at the teams in the top 10, Seattle, very much open to taking quarterback, the Raiders, you know, this is something that's not really still talked about that much. We're the main competitor to trade up to the number one overall pick and balked at the price, but we're very, very interested in trading up to the number one overall pick to take a quarterback, even after signing Jimmy Garoppolo. 
And so in my latest mock draft, I had them moving up to three uh, with the Cardinals because I think either them or the Colts make a ton of sense to move up to that position and take their quarterback to the future. Because if you look at a team like the Raiders, sure, they're okay for now, but they are in a good position to add a, a quarterback like Anthony Richardson or like Will Levis, who maybe needs a little bit of time to progress and would be a great fit in the future for them. Um, but then if you look at a team like the Colts, the Colts right now, I think are actually in the worst position out of all of these teams at pick number four, because the Cardinals are very much in a position to trade down with a team like the Raiders, maybe even a team like the Falcons, if the Falcons wanted to trade up, the Titans are in a reasonable position to trade up. Like there's so many teams that could come up there and leapfrog the Colts. So then if you're sitting there at four, then there's three quarterback needy teams right in front of you. And so what are you going to do? You're taking the fourth quarterback there or you balk and you take a defensive player, Will Anderson, and then you're starting Gardner Minshew, Nick Foles, Sam Ellinger. So, I mean, what are you doing at that point? Are you just tanking for Caleb Williams? Like you have no direction if you miss out on these quarterbacks. So I think that's one of the probably most interesting variables here at the top. Um, again, personally, I had the Raiders trading up to three with Arizona. I think that's, in my opinion, a really likely outcome, but something that we probably won't see until draft day because they won't want to trade up without knowing who's going to be on the board. And so that's something that I would, I'm also thinking about as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, the problem that I have with Jeremiah putting Levis at 19 is that there are just so many scenarios and teams that could just stay home and would have selected him in my opinion as well. Like just the Titans, I don't think at 11 pass on Levis if he's there, right? They, I think they're a viable trade option to go get him, but like they are in the last year of Ryan Tannehill's contract. We know what they did last year with Malik Willis clearly got enough Malik Wellis to identify that he is not the dude. They are in the middle of a rebuild anyway. Like you just, you take him if he falls. I feel like that's an absolute floor for Levis who, again, I will continue to make a case until we get really clarity at the top that the Levis price for number one overall is way off market. There's 40 over, over at DraftKings. Now, again, I'm with you. I think it's Stroud. And if it's not Stroud, I, I think, I think the Anthony Richardson is a really interesting thing too. Like, I think he's probably the fourth quarterback. But again, like in this scenario, Kuiper has him going three, which means he's at least close enough to these other guys. Again, he has someone trading up to get him. And we are not far removed from the December reports of David Tepper being infatuated with Will Levis. Again, we don't know how much say Tepper has in the draft room. I think obviously letting the process play out with other scouts and other players Makes a lot of sense, but the the Levis number continues to remind me of the Paulo Bancaro number in the NBA, where we it was a three man race, but the market told you it was only a two man race until pro days, individual visits, and those things happened. All of a sudden, it became really clear that it was actually, in fact, a three man race. So, again, I think Levis is a long shot. I just don't think he's as long as the market currently has him at. Something that I think is worth noting too is that if you don't want to play the number one overall pick odds. They're like, they're starting to release number two pick, no second pick and third, like second quarterback, third quarterback drafted. So right now, number two draft pick, Will Levis is 25 to one. If for some reason you don't think that they're a lock to pick Bryce Young, which uh, I think that if Stroud goes one, they're very likely to pick Bryce Young. But I think in this same vein, you know, like I don't think outside of a couple random whispers like no one knew that they were gonna pick Derek Stingley until zero line reported it like you know a couple days before that being said zero line has said like very strongly like they're picking Bryce Young if he's on the board at two but but he also mentioned that if Stroud was there at two, that they might not pick him because he's the same agent as Deshaun Watson who went through a lot of issues obviously with the Texans and that whole you know debacle there so I think that's something worth noticing, noting that if for some reason Bryce Young goes one, I mean, Will Lewis is certainly not out of the question at two instead of uh, CJ Stroud. So I think that's an interesting angle. If, if you're interested in Bryce Young at one, kind of pairing that with a Will Levis at two ticket. I also think if you're interested in Anthony Richardson at one, you're going to get an opportunity here in the next few days because he has uh, the last of the pro days next Thursday. So, you know, eight days from as we record today. And the other three are all this week, you know, by, by Friday. So we got, you know, Ohio state today, Alabama on Thursday, Kentucky on Friday. So like we will have had buzzy news for the three of them and Anthony Richardson will have a little bit of time to, to get his. Now again, I think the, regardless of what happens, the Richardson number gets shorter after his pro day, right? Unless it's a, just a complete disaster. I think it probably gets a little shorter. So again, there are, 
the ways to kind of time this market, if you want to get your toes in a little bit of all of them, uh, there are right ways to kind of get the best of the number before the markets move. What about uh, Anthony Richardson and Will Levis, third quarterback selected? We're looking at Levis plus 250, Richardson minus 150. Um, I mean... I think this should be closer to even. I get the I get the steam on Richardson, but like a team like Indianapolis, I think makes more sense. Like Mel Kuyper has in their mock draft to take a guy like Levis than a guy like Richardson. Uh, but maybe I'm maybe I'm off base there. But I, at least that's just from like a fit perspective that makes a little more sense to me as a, a Chris Ballard guy versus uh, Anthony Richardson. Yeah, I don't disagree too. I mean, there's obviously familiarity with Gardner Minshew who signed on with the Colts in terms of, you know, Shane Steichen going over there as well. So like they're probably okay with him as a bridge guy for a little bit, but you know, um, that would probably keep any of them in play, but yeah, I just think there's a lot of unknowns. So, you know, basically shopping the market and playing the market blindly uh, and trying to find, you know, some, some opportunities to get in on plus money is probably the best way to play it. If you're looking to get in on some of these things now, for the most part, I'm going to hold off until uh, I feel a little bit more confident and we get a little bit more, information the other thing that's really interesting here at the very top is that as we sat here last week we talked about the Jalen Carter pro day uh and how poor that went uh and how we're still dealing with a little bit of legal news and the people are talking about him falling outside the top 20 Scott him falling out of the first round and as we see here uh he is going fifth to Seattle in Daniel Jeremiah's mock which is a really nice fit for them um they did sign uh Tremont Jones free agent from the Broncos to solidify the defensive tackle position. But like it was a massive need. They lost Puna Ford too. So still a need for Seattle. And then Mel Kuyper has him going sixth, uh, which I think is a great fit as well to Detroit. So the Jalen Carter floor is falling, seems to not be falling all that much. I, I tend to disagree a little bit um, with both of these, these places. And, and Todd McShay kind of hit on it early on in the draft process that you know, like some of the things that you hear behind the scenes are, are, are going to come to fruition with, with Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter specifically at six, I just don't think, while, while the talent's there, I just don't think he fits what that team is trying to build moving forward. Um, that coaching staff has brought in a bunch of high-character guys that are, are, you know, work hard and are going to get after it every every time in practice. And with Jalen Carter specifically having some question marks as far as, like, how his motor runs hot and cold and how the effort's not are always there. And, and let's face it, like, you've seen in the past defensive tackles flame out very early, especially ones that get drafted kind of high like this. And I, I think Jalen Carter kind of brings a little bit of that unknown, uh, you know, of what you're going to get with some of the character issues and some of the motor questions. And and I tend to have him, and I'm, the feeling that I'm getting is to have him more in this 8 to 12 range rather than here as a, a top six pick. Interesting, Connor. Where would you set the uh, Carter over and under if we were to get that today? Yeah, I mean, I'm I agree with Scott, and for a couple of reasons here is that so our guy, you know, our Seahawks guy Rob Statton, who's just been putting out awesome information for the last few years, um, I believe mentioned that they would not take Jalen Carter. We strongly believe that they would not take Jalen Carter, even though it is a great fit on paper. I also think he'd be a fantastic fit with the Lions on paper. But if we look at uh, like all of the other stuff going on, to me, he's like the antithesis of a Dan Campbell guy. He's lazy off the field and or on the field. He like loafs basically. He showed up 10 pounds heavier to his pro day and he has all the off field issues of like, you know, all the other shit. So like he's like character questions off the field, work ethic concerns on the field, which is, I think is actually probably the biggest point for a Dan Campbell team. Um, even though he's awesome when he's on the field. So I agree with Scott. I think that he's, I had him at 10 to the Eagles in my mock draft, but I mean, I think that probably that range makes a ton of sense there. One of these teams is going to say, okay, we can't pass on this guy, like in that range. But I like for me, I don't think it's the Lions. I, and maybe it's the Seahawks. Maybe Staten's wrong. But I, I am very, very confident it was not the Lions. And if it is, then they feel really strongly that they can take on a wounded puppy and fix them uh, you know, up to be a superstar. And I do think that's the interesting dynamic for both of these teams because they do have two first round picks, right? The Lions are at six and 18. Seahawks are at five and 20. Um, the Lions in particular, like I think you guys both make fantastic points. Though my pushback, particularly on the Lions, would be you got a bunch of high character guys. You have this dog of a head coach that demands a certain work ethic. Why not bring this kid into that environment to just have him be in a spot where high tide raises all ships. You got to get on 
and make it work. And you have a little bit of the benefit of a luxury pick, right? They both benefited from, you know, trades here to be able to sit in these spots and make those picks. So um, I think you guys are valid. I think that he could fall a little bit, but I do think you get in a spot where it's like, Hey, this guy's tape when he pops it is off the charts. Um, people thought he could have been you know, very clearly. We saw him when he opened up first defensive player on the board, he was an overwhelming favorite. Um, I do think Connor's point to like maybe 10 is the floor for Carter. I, I just can see the Eagles making that pick and it fits a, a need for them as well. Uh, but I think it's definitely going to be an interesting over under when that market first comes out. Uh, the other interesting yeah, thing, I here, think also too, oh, yeah, I was, I was going to say the last bit on here would be like, I almost kind of like, I would agree with you on the point about like maybe bringing him in, they can change his character. Uh, I think that's certainly possible. My only concern is that like they had a guy like DeAndre Swift, who very clearly was the most talented running back on the team, was like seemingly an awesome player from all of our outsider eyes. Then you watch Hard Knocks and you see the coaches just being like, why aren't you working harder? Like, why aren't you trying harder? Like, what's going on here? And like, it just didn't work. And they don't give him the workload. You know, he was banged up for part of the year. But like, it was one of those weird dynamics where like maybe he's obviously a different person than Jalen Carter, but he did not latch on to that type of, you know, chemistry and that type of vibe. And I'm just not sure if they're, that's like their MO is to take those types of players on, but I guess we'll see, you know, cause again, I do, I do agree at on field fit. He would be an absolutely perfect selection for them at six. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a great selection for them at six. Cause I think he is a like force multiplier type of player, right? Like he makes things easier for Hutchinson. He makes things easier uh, for Houston, some of the other defensive ends that they grabbed last year, if he's able to to really reach his, his potential. But uh, interesting to see how that one comes out. This little pocket here, I've talked about a little bit, 789 with the Raiders, Falcons, and Bears is really interesting to me because you know, part of, I think, putting this puzzle together is really trying to narrow down positional needs, you know, in terms of like diagnosing what a team's going to do. The Raiders, Falcons, and Bears need everything. Right. Like I feel like they can go just basically anywhere. What's interesting is we don't have um, the Raiders in either mock draft landing a quarterback, which I think is a rarity. We do think that they probably want to adjust the position, all things considered. I think with Jimmy G, they're probably too good to be in a spot where they're looking to select first next year uh, and have the ability to select Caleb Williams in that draft. I think they do need a ton of help on the defensive side of the football. Kuiper has them drafting. Christian Gonzalez as the first corner off the board. Um, Jeremiah has the fit that we've talked about extensively is the Devin Witherspoon fit to the Lions at six. Tyree Wilson landing seven to the Raiders. Again, the Witherspoon thing to Detroit makes a ton of sense in terms of his play style. Some of the narratives that we think fit in Detroit, the need at the position. Again, they went out and added Cam Sutton to free agency. Um, Emmanuel Mosley, a one-year deal. They have to, you know, an option in terms of Jeffrey Okuda's fifth year and what they want to do there. I still think that corner is a need for the Lions. It's a pretty deep position. They can address it at 18. They can address it in the second round. But again, we're kind of in that spot here too. And then Tyree Wilson falling a little bit on Kuiper's side there, Scott. So uh, talk to me a, a little bit about that bottom of the top 10. Yeah, so if you look, I mean, you kind of have those same players there talking Witherspoon, Gonzalez, and uh, you know, we're talking about Tyree Wilson. We hit on Tyree Wilson and one of the last shows is just waiting for some of the medical clearance as far as that. You know, the way he projects, he's got the skill set. He, he's got the body type that you really like as a defensive end, the long limbs, you know, the motor, the, the whole nine yards. It's it's just waiting another couple of weeks to find out how those medicals come out. With that being said, I also think he fits a number of these teams sitting here with Raiders, you know, with Atlanta, you know, and whatnot. So I, I think when we look at it, I, I think as long as medicals check out, we're also still waiting for Devin Witherspoon to run. You know, once once all of these things kind of check out, this looks like the group of players until you get here to to Chicago, who, you know, were in the in the mix for possibly early on taking Jalen Carter number one had they stayed there. You know, I could see Jalen Carter going there at nine or, or ten. I, I think this group of players is kind of the ones that you're going to get. The one pushback I kind of have with Daniel Jeremiah is the Skaronsky there at, at nine. We already talked about them signing Nate Davis, and I, I project Skaronsky to be more of a guard than a tackle. Um, but I, I think 
this top 10 to 11 tier of players is really starting to uh, to pan out and solidify itself here as, as the group of guys that you're going to go ahead and get. Um, I think the surprises that you may see are, are going to kind of start to creep in with Tennessee and, and maybe Houston. That's where you kind of start to veer a little bit differently. Yeah, Connor, you've been of the mindset that Peter Scronsky is not going to be a Chicago Bear, uh, that they could address that position. Uh, Mel Kuyper has them taking a tackle or offensive lineman as well, Paris Johnson out of Ohio State. Um, Skaronsky, again, to Scott's point, shorter arms. Some people think he might be a guard at least to start. And uh, you know, the Nate Davis signing does maybe uh, you know, curtail that a little bit. And again, I think you've identified that they just do not like the local kid, uh, Skaronsky, anyway. Yeah, I mean that that's just what I've heard is that they don't like him. I mean, I was it was pretty dismissive of when I asked about him uh to someone in the know. So, um not to mention like Scott said kind of the fit here after them signing a guard, you know, I think that he would probably slide inside. And there's so many other in this range like other tackles who I think kind of fit what they're looking for a little bit more. Uh, a guy who kind of popped uh comparatively would be a guy like Broderick Jones, uh, off to tackle from Georgia. Um, Anthony Amico actually did a little comparison here that I thought was interesting with Eric Fisher. Ryan Poles was with the Chiefs at that time when they drafted Fisher. They compared to each other, you know, very similarly in terms of size, speed, kind of weight, uh, reach, all those things uh, are fairly similar there. And they picked Eric Fisher over three tackles when the top four that year, which I did not remember, which I, for me, for some reason, I had some memory going in that Fisher was the overwhelming favorite. He was not actually Luke Jokel was the minus 150 heading into draft night. So I think that's notable a little bit. Maybe they go a little bit more of a size or size kind of aspect there. And I think that even actually further diminishes Skaronsky's case uh, in some aspects as well. But I, one thing that stuck with me with this, like back into the top 10 that I think is really important to talk about is that, so Daniel Jeremiah mentioned in his last pod that he expects both Witherspoon and Gonzalez to be like surefire top 10 picks. And then Ben Solak has been talking about this a bunch too, saying like every year we see these corners who are good and they get pushed off the board a little bit more, a little bit more because they're Island players, because they're premium players, like at a premium position. And these two guys, like Gonzalez tested well, he played well, he has good stats, like everything. So I think that he's very much in the mix and a guy like Witherspoon fits really well at Detroit, but it wouldn't surprise me. Like, you know, I think the Raiders need a corner, the Falcons need a corner and Detroit is very much in the market. Like two of those three teams, I think are very much in play. Personally, too, I had the Cardinals trading down to seven in my mock with the Raiders. They're a fantastic team to take a corner because they lost Byron Murphy and they were already in the market before. Like, I, that's even another reason why I think the Cardinals would be interested in trading down is because, sure, Will Anderson's great. You know, maybe if you want Tyree Wilson, Jalen Carter, you can get them all three, but you can get probably your pick of two of those guys or a corner at seven or eight if you trade down. So, those are just some of my notes there and something that when I build my latest mock, I'm like, okay, I need these two corners in the top 10. Uh, instead of some of the offensive linemen or, or edge players uh, that I had there originally. Yeah, both of them, uh, a floor is eight in both of these mock drafts um, with Witherspoon uh, going six, uh, Gonzalez going eight for Jeremiah, and then uh, for Kuiper, Gonzalez going seven, Witherspoon going eight. So yeah, it it, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, I think we will see that kind of continue to push its way up throughout the drafts, the mock drafts, with the basically the rest of the position, because it is one of the better positions in this draft. Uh, is the cornerback position. Yeah, one one thing I want to hit on real quick is the the way I read mock drafts in, in comparison, especially with these media guys, is you know that they have sources that we just don't have access to. Um, you know, they're, they're a little bit more dug in with, with the front offices and some of the scouts and, and even the agents and whatnot. But I think it's interesting when you look at the, these things it's one thing when they have the same pick it, that's easy at the top of the draft but specifically you look at, at atlanta at eight and in one you have devin witherspoon and in the other you have christian gonzalez these are two guys that are tuned in with the agents with the gms with the front offices and the fact that they both have cornerback going in there tends to tell you that you might want to go ahead and lean a little bit more towards a defensive back being selected with with that pick there at, at Atlanta if they're available and on the board. And, and that's kind of how I go through the the entire mock draft process whenever I'm looking at some other people's mock drafts, especially these big media guys. Again, at nine, you're looking at Chicago with offensive line. You know, so, so when you start keying in on some of this these guys might be hearing from these teams and their sources that look this is the position that they're going into play and it's just a matter of matching up what player fits that position on the board so that's kind of the way that i lean in and, and tune into some of these mock drafts and specifically with those two guys that we're talking about devin witherspoon christian gonzalez top 10 is going to be a lot for both of them good call out we have that a little further down the board at 12 
with both mock drafts uh, handing an edge rusher to the Texans with their second selection. Um, I think Tennessee is kind of in the mix with the other seven, eight, nine range of uh, the Raiders, the Falcons and the bears, because I think Tennessee has a number of needs. Uh, they can go a lot of different ways here. Um, they have the first receiver off the board and Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft with uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba. I uh, have Tyree Wilson falling all the way down to 11 there in Mel Kuyper's draft mentioned the edges to the Texans with Nolan Smith who tested off the charts uh, uh, coming out of Georgia here. And then Miles Murphy is a name that was pretty standard in the top 10 very early in the process and now has been falling down uh, depending on the draft. And we see that on the, uh, the Mel Kuyper draft, he is, uh, is not even in the first round, if I'm not mistaken, uh, which is, you know, very, very interesting to see. We start to see a little bit of this as we get into the back half of the, the first round. The interesting thing here to me is the Jets as well. We're still waiting on that 13th pick. Is that compensation? Aaron Rodgers. What do the Jets do with it if they stay home? We see variations here in terms of offensive tackle, edge rusher. Um, Connor, I'll kick it to you about here. The, the um, just fall off ten and what you these teams do and what stands out. Yeah, I think something worth noting with the Jets too is so Daniel Jeremiah is super plugged in with the Jets. And like Scott said, I think the best way at this point is to look like positionally and kind of where they're going there. And so originally Daniel Jeremiah had an offensive lineman uh, pegged to the Jets. Now he has Nolan Smith and Edge. And I think a lot of that he mentioned on his show as well, talking about how uh, they think Makai Becton is looking really good. And like they don't necessarily view the offensive line as like a need at this point. Um, if he is playing well, because obviously he hasn't played much over the last few years. When he has played, it hasn't been that great. But they are very confident that they get him back on track. And if they are confident, then maybe they look elsewhere. And I think another position would be kind of along the defensive trenches there. So that's a good point on the Jets there about like whether they'll even have this pick. But I anticipate that they probably will. Uh, 12, I have Nolan Smith to the Texans as well. It's a guy that I had 19 originally, has been skyrocketing up boards. Um, he is a little bit small, but he just tested amazing, like overall. And not to mention this Texans team, obviously just hired D'Amico Ryans, former NFL linebacker, kind of a defensive guy. They signed Robert Woods. They signed Dalton Schultz. They signed an offensive lineman in free agency. Uh, so like for me, I think that if we're looking at this team, I'm sure they could double tap the, tap the offense here with like a quarterback wide receiver combo two and 12. But I think that given they've already invested a little bit into this offense kind of in free agency that maybe they go for a little bit of balance, try to address the defense and make that a little bit better. So personally I have them going defense, but uh, I will like Scott said, kind of be tuned into what the insiders know about like positionally where they're, they're focused. Yeah. Houston, uh, Scott going edge edge. It's probably uh, an interesting note to, to remember here down the road. Yeah. And just one thing on Nolan Smith, like you hit on it with the combine, but listen to some of these numbers for a, you know, a linebacker weight in six, two, two thirty eight, a little bit on the smaller side, but as an edge rusher, you, you want to go ahead and talk about it. He was in the 99th percentile for his 10 yard split, 99th percentile for his 40 yard dash, 98th percentile for his vertical jump and 95th percentile for his broad jump. So he's a guy that pocketed and made some money at the combine. I had him a lot lower in my initial mock draft, but I, I think this 10 to 12 range is he, he's going to be live from the Eagles all the way to, you know, 13 with the Jets. And, and I can even see maybe, you know, a, a little bit of a fit there with the Patriots if they don't trade down or make some type of move. Yeah, the Eagles make a ton of sense there as well. They are not they're they're fine with just stacking edge rushers uh in positions of value and that makes a lot of sense there. They actually have selected a defensive lineman uh Lucas Van Ness in Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft. Van Ness goes a little bit later in Kuiper's over at 15. Um Van Ness is an interesting guy that you know friend of the show uh, ben Solak does not understand the love for Lucas Van Ness, but like, but I think the drumbeat is fairly loud in terms of, you know, where he continues to get mocked, what NFL teams think of him. You know, his his testing at the combine was was pretty insane for his size as well. So that's a guy that I think continues to definitely make his way inside the top fifteen and should get a lot of attention here as well. New England at fourteen is interesting. Again, I will. Always be surprised when they are on the clock and we don't actually get a trade. Uh, you know, we get the little sound that the draft pick is is in. There's a very rare as a, uh, a Patriots fan over the years to actually see someone walking to the podium for them to make that selection. Again, a team that actually could go a number of different ways. Even when they sit and make picks, they don't always necessarily go what you would think would be their positional need. They are often thinking down the road. They're often thinking best player on the board. 
Uh, Mel Kuyper has Joey Porter Jr., another quarterback. They're the third corner coming off the board there. Daniel Jeremiah, very interestingly, has the Patriots selecting Bijan Robinson, uh, the running back out of, te- uh, out of uh, Texas. Connor, Connor also did a mock draft. Also had Bijan Robinson going 14, but you did a little bit differently. Yeah, so it was a little bit fun here, but it kind of makes a lot of sense to me. I had the Cowboys trading up to 14 with the Patriots and selecting Bijan Robinson. Uh, you know, Jerry Jones has lost his boy Zeke. If we go back to the 2016 draft, he, you know, put his fist down on the table and said that, you know, he really wanted Zeke Elliott over Jalen Ramsey. You know, they were considering keeping him on this outrageous contract while he was, you know, just playing poorly, I would say, or like below average for the most part. Uh, And so that was only because of Jerry Jones. I mean, any other general manager would have considered getting rid of him. So now without that, they have Tony Pollard, who's, I mean, broke his leg basically, you know, he's like really had had a relatively major injury. We'll be back in time, but like, I don't think that they want Pollard to be the guy handling 20, 25 touches a game. He's probably want to maintain him more in that 12 to 15 range. So it would not surprise me at all to see them trade up or draft Bijan Robinson. I don't think trading up a running back is smart, and I don't think most teams would do it. But if there was a team to do it, it would be the Cowboys and the Patriots also love to trade back. They love to accumulate picks, like you said. So I think that there's a lot of different factors here where, again, like projecting trades is tough. But when you're looking at a guy like Bijan Robinson, who repeatedly, like every single person in the media will tell you, he is a top 10 prospect on every single team's board. Um, but it's just really tough to find a fit with him within the top 10. I know, Noonan, you've talked about it before. The Falcons are in play at eight. And like, so are the, the Titans at 11 if they move on from Derrick Henry. Like, there's so many possibilities, but none of them, he's like a great fit because they have so many other needs due to the positional just needs there. So for me, I think he could fall a little bit or a team like, like uh, the Cowboys, like, I mean, if the Chargers move on from Austin Eckler, if they really want a running back, wouldn't surprise me either. So that's kind of my take on it. But I think that it's a little bit out there, but like, it's one of those things that if it happens, we're going to play this clip back. We're going to cut it and say on whatever, March 22nd, we had this live saying that the Cowboys are going to get Cowboys and Jerry, we're going to get their new Zeke and Bijan Robinson. Yeah. I just think he's so good that at a certain point, someone's going to want to move up to get him. He's going to start to slide a little bit. And again, like I know that how the position is basically handled in the league in it. I rightfully so, you know, these guys are all tremendous athletes. And I think what separates them is very, very, very little, but I don't think that you can talk to anyone who evaluates the position that would tell you that B. John Robinson isn't one of those outliers. Now, again, from a team building standpoint, it's like compounding interest here not only are you selecting a first round running back, but in this scenario, you are trading up to get one. It is a really, really bad team building process. Now that doesn't mean that someone won't do it. That doesn't mean that the Cowboys are not a perfect fit to do so. Keep the kid in Texas. It makes a ton of sense after again, letting Zeke go franchising Tony Pollard and having to figure what that looks like down the stretch. So um, it would be interesting. It'd be a lot of fun. And we know the Cowboys are, uh, you know, within the range of possibilities to do something like that. I think the Patriots drafting Bijan Robinson is absolutely ludicrous. So, I mean, I, I thought that's nuts, but uh, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be the first time they drafted a first round running back, but uh, taking them at 14, given all their other issues offensively would be, oh boy, that would be rough. Noonan. It'd be rough. Um, again, like, you know, at a certain point, it's, it'd be very similar to the Sony Michelle situation where, I mean, I love Sony Michelle in college. He was electric. He you know, was a great you know receiving back. Uh, I don't know why he was not used that way uh, at all. Maybe I identified something. Again, I know he had some knee injury issues. At the time, it was like, oh, we took a running back. And then you're like, Sony's fun, though. All right, let's go. Even though we passed on Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, knowing that Tom Brady you know, was uh, definitely on in the 17th or 18th hole of his career. So, uh, yeah, it's an interesting play. I don't think New England does that. But, again, they, they are a team that will go off the board in terms of need. When the guy is that far, far down uh, in terms of where they have him on the overall board. So um, now we get down here to the commanders who have, again, another team with a ton of needs. We have uh, Emmanuel Forbes, which is really early for Mel Kuyper at 16. Forbes, really good tape, uh, nice combine. Uh, he is not appearing at all in Daniel Jeremiah's mock draft, which again, I think is really interesting to have one guy in the top 16 and another guy not on the board. Um, Kyber also has a corner at 17 to the Steelers with uh, Deontay Banks. Again, another kid who had a really, really good combine tested off the charts. 
you know, we're seeing more and more quarterbacks to Connor's point kind of flow up the board. Uh, Scott Jeremiah has Broderick Jones going to Pittsburgh. I do think that those are the two really clear needs to the Steelers in terms of, you know, kind of where they're at. They can add offensive line help. They had a lot of continuity last year. I think they're going to have a lot of continuity again next year. No one's very good. Um, so they kind of need to add some just overall talent there and some depth. And Deontay Bakes fills a need too, uh, obviously with Cam Sutton leaving. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of this mid part of the uh, the teens? I think when you look at Pittsburgh, uh, there's there's a nostalgic uh, basically narrative that's going on and uh, across the mock draft community, the Joey Porter Jr. is the, pl- the player that's getting overwhelmingly mock draft to uh, Pittsburgh because his dad played there. And, and deservingly so, he, he's within that range of possibilities. But I think when you start to look at what Pittsburgh needs and, and what's available here in this position, I, I think it'll be a good spot for them to, to go ahead and, and take a tackle. I like Broderick Jones if he falls to that point, which Daniel Jeremiah has him. I think the upside for him is, is is through the roof as far as tackle goes. And it just makes the most sense to me as far as team that wants to go ahead and protect Kenny Pickett, you know, and, and give give that that offensive line and some other things, you know, just the way they want to build. I, I just see offensive line help as being a little bit more of a need than uh than cornerback. But Deontay Banks is a player that's interesting. And I think when you start looking across the the range of where he's being drafted, I think that 15, 16 range all the way down to the end of the the first round. Um, I, I think he's a player that starts to come into play here. Um, another player who tested well, did himself well at the combine. But then you also look at Darnell Wright, um, who's there at 19 to to Tampa. He starts to come into play here. And I, I've seen him mock draft to, to Pittsburgh a, a good bit as well. So I think this is kind of the range you start to see some of these players come into play. And, uh, you know, it, it's – Nothing set in stone here with with a lot of these guys, but it, it's just trying to to get the next ten players after those those ten just to kind of you know march them out from eleven to twenty and try to figure out who's going to be in that range and start placing them with fit and team need. Kind of the cool part in terms of what the Steelers do, right? We were trying to piece a puzzle together, and when we have a team like the Steelers who has two really clear needs, we also have a team that historically we go into the draft knowing who the Steelers are going to take, um, who they've identified. And when you can kind of put the one piece of the puzzle in, it makes things around it a little bit easier, even though we don't have the clear answer. So if we get a really clear idea that that banks or in this case, offensive tackle is the priority, it allows us to shift around it in a way that even though we don't know the answer, like we do with the Steelers, knowing the Steelers answer helps us fit other puzzle pieces in. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's, Honestly, after the first, I think in this mock or in this draft, it's probably going to be the first like 10 picks or so. I feel like we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be in those that top 10 range. After that, it gets there's a lot of guys. There's like a chunk of like, you know, another 10 guys that could go in the next like six, seven picks that we don't really know how they all fit. And so like you talked about Broderick Jones, it could be Deontay Banks. I had Joey Porter in there because his dad, but again, that's probably shaping up to be more of like a Kenny Pickett to Carolina situation where just because he played in the area and knew someone who knew someone, you know, doesn't really mean that the team's going to draft him there, but for now it's pretty convenient to put him there in my mock draft. Um, so, you know, until we get more solidified information on sealers, I'll probably roll with the corner, but like you said, an offensive lineman there, once we know that pick, it'll help solve the lions at 18, which, uh, you know, I, a popular pick has been, uh, Cansey, uh, you know, kind of the defensive tackle there. Daniel Jeremiah has him. And I mean, the rationale beyond that was that, uh, the current GM of the lions used to be with the Rams. The Rams used to like drafted and have Aaron Donald, you know, and, and that like, he could play kind of play that role. I do think again, like we talked about Jalen Carter, like having another adding a defensive tackle makes a ton of sense. For this defense, it could be Cansey. I would not surprise me at all. He's a little bit undersized, but, uh, I think that he could be a good fit there. Um, as well. So that's not surprising to me. He's kind of been a late bloomer as well. And the bucks here at 19, I think are kind of a mystery because they need a lot of help now in the Tom Brady, you know, I guess post era here with especially a quarterback Baker Mayfield ain't it. I mean, we've seen one reasonable game in the last three years from him. Uh, and so I don't know, man, I don't know what they're going to do. If they're going to go decide to go run heavy, if they're going to that they need a better offensive line to do that. They can't even get pushed off the line. The receivers are obviously good, but can make Baker Mayfield get them the ball. Like there's, I have so many questions at 19 that like, 
I'm just like, I'm just kind of like blacking them out for now and then hopefully figuring them out later in each mock draft. It's not going to be Will Levis. Like he's just not going to be there. I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous exercise to even do it, but you make a good point. Like they lost Jamal Dean, uh cornerback. They could definitely address that position. Uh, they, you know, sliding offensive lineman, they can move Tristan Worfs over to left tackle. You know, Darnell Wright would be a guy that could slide right in on the right side. Like that makes a lot of sense. That feels like a good fit. But again, there's a reason these teams are, towards the tail end of the first round, they often have a lot of needs. Um, do we get a little bit of clarity to Scott's point when you start to see some redundancy in terms of mock drafts that we re- respect, uh, you know, mocking a certain position there, it allows you to maybe narrow down where you have some of these guys going. Um, both guys to that point have a wide receiver going to the Seahawks with their second uh, pick here in the first round at pick 20. Kuiper has Jackson Smith and Jigba falling all the way down to 20, where he goes 11th in Jeremiah's mock to Tennessee. Um, Jeremiah has Jordan uh, Addison out of USC going 20th, falling a little bit in Kuiper's draft there too. So um, Scott, is that uh, something that is you know actionable? Yeah, I think it is a bit actual, but also when you look at the two players that are here in Jackson Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison, you know, the player that you're not seeing is Quentin Johnston, and that's because Seattle already has that alpha. So I I think these two players complement that offense a little bit more. Um, Tyler Lockett's getting up in age, approaching age 30, even though it seems like he's been in in the league for way longer than that. Um, And he's also dealt with some injuries, been, you know, a smaller receiver. Um, so I, I like the fit of both of these receivers here. And I, I think both of these, I, I tend to think Jordan Addison's a little bit more of a fit here as I, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba may go a little bit earlier in this, but I, I like the mindset of, of both of these. And I, I think this is actionable information, um, that, that you can see, I, I think my next mock draft, I'd probably be leaning a little bit more towards Jordan Addison sitting here at, at 24 Seattle. And, uh, you know, Quentin Johnson's a guy who is kind of falling down a little bit in, in some of these mock drafts went into the combine early as the, the early on favorite you look at what jackson smith and jigba did and uh you know we got some pro day numbers here with him running a four five four five three in his two attempts also early early word out of ohio state today is that paris johnson absolutely killed the the offensive lineman workout and so that kind of pushes him up as a, a stronger position to be that first offensive lineman off the board uh tony pauline's reporting that he had absolutely look like every bit of a top 10 player as far as the tackle goes so but i i think when you start looking here and, and you bounce from seattle even to to the next pick with uh with the chargers there and and you're still looking at offensive receiver type weapon you know they, they're kind of missing out on a tight end is a flowers you know an option as well as a wide receiver to get somebody that's a little bit more of a game breaker and uh i think you look at that and that's a team in the chargers that are looking to build around justin herbert and their quarterback yeah, we're getting uh, some help there for uh, for Herbert there, Connor. What are your thoughts on uh, the Chargers, who, again, I think are probably the favorites right now in the market, if I'm not mistaken, on Bijan Robinson landing spot, which I think is interesting. But again, the Austin Eckler's news probably is uh, compounding that. But uh, Chargers adding a pass catcher. Um, I mean, I think they're more likely to add a tight end. I don't know. I kind of thought that after they kept Keenan Allen, they have Mike Williams still, you know, I like schematically and fit, like, I think Zay profiles more like Keenan Allen than he does like a stretch Y or like a stretch outside receiver that can kind of like open up the middle of the field for Keenan Allen and and Mike Williams. I mean, or if they want a more complete guy, like I feel like honestly, even like a Quentin Johnson would make more of a fit there in terms of just like a guy, like another guy who could be an alpha kind of like, uh, you know, just a different fit for them because I'm not saying Zay is like a fully redundant kind of guy, but to me, it just doesn't make a ton of sense in that fit there for, for the chargers. Um, I, I think that a tight end makes a ton more sense with Dalton Kincaid. I actually have that fit as well in my latest mock draft. Mel Kuyper has that as well. 21. Uh, and the Seattle bit is really interesting as well because I kind of Jordan Addison, I've seen people comp him to Tyler Lockett. And so again, like, like he's like Scott said, they don't need an alpha cause they already have DK, but like, do they need another Tyler Lockett? I don't know. It's just like, I like, it's telling that both these guys are going wide receiver, but I'm not ready to lock that in because in my mind, like, sure. Having three wide receivers is awesome. Like great wide receivers is great, but like, you know, that just doesn't seem to be their MO currently with Gino with maybe a rookie quarterback, you know, like obviously Pete Carroll likes to skew a little bit run heavy. So there's a lot of different things there, factors at play that kind of make me a little bit weary towards this spot here. Um, I think the, the Ravens are an interesting team though, that 
absolutely need wide receiver help. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah has him going Joey Porter Jr. Mel Kuyper at 22 has him going Zay Flowers. I think that makes a ton of sense for a wide receiver because they have, I mean, obviously Mark Andrews, but, you know, outside of that, Rashad Bateman was injured and like fine, I guess, you know, as a player, like I'm sure the dynasty community and everyone will want to fight me, but he's just, I don't think he's all that good. Uh, and so like they need another guy who can be a guy in the Todd Munkin offense with massive questions about Lamar too. The reports saying that they were splitting. So I don't know any, if you have any thoughts on any of those picks, Newton, but this is the range for wide receivers. We did talk about over four and a half receivers like a month ago. I am very much out on that. If that pops, I like, I'll probably be taking the under because I don't think Jalen Hyatt makes it in the first round anymore. I think that there's like four guys uh, right now between Zay Flowers, Jordan Addison, Quinn Johnston, um, and then I'm missing one more here. Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba that are like very likely to go in the first round. But I mean, even if one of them falls out, like I wouldn't be that surprised. Yeah, I think it, that's a good call out. I think the, as Scott pointed out, the Quinton Johnston stuff is is pretty interesting too. Like Jeremiah has him as the fourth receiver off the board where he was routinely in early mocks, the first receiver. Most spots, like he was just kind of a, a very easy pencil in to the Texans at 12. Uh, and that seems to be, you know, long gone. So interested to see where his over-under comes in at based off of maybe some early thoughts. Whereas in these two drafts, he's 23 uh, in Kuiper's draft, he's 27 in Jeremiah's draft. So I think that that's uh, definitely some some news and a guy who is is trending down, even though he had a good combine. Uh, I just think that there's maybe some other, his style of play is maybe not uh, a fit for everyone. And maybe you can get in a spot where team-specific needs in terms of his his size and stature uh, maybe kind of dictate where he goes. Um, Hendon Hooker to Jeremiah, uh, 23 in Minnesota. Uh, again, Maybe he's doing somebody a solid here. Uh, I know that he's talked about liking Hendon Hooker. I know that there are people that do like him as a player. Again, you just you just haven't seen it a lot. Uh, it's it's very very interesting, Scott. What are your initial reactions to what seems to be a little wink wink nudge nudge to you know, maybe an agent or or perhaps uh, someone in the organization? Look, I absolutely think these guys trade information for, for you know, little little trades. Hey, I'll, I'll get your guy a little bit of publicity and get him some clicks and get his name out there in the media. And, and I absolutely think this is a, a situation. Hendon Hooker played great this past season up until he got hurt. But when you start looking at his entire body of work, it doesn't make him a first round pick. I, I want to say he's like 25 or something. So he's an older prospect at quarterback who's also coming off a major injury. So so there's if there's a bet that Hendon Hooker would not be a first round pick, I'd put my paycheck on it. You know, I'd bet the house. I just don't see this happening. I think this is a, a little wink wink, nudge, nudge. Let me get your guy in there. You give me some information and, and we'll go ahead and work from there. And there, there's a couple of other guys in here that you're like I said, you're not seeing in any other mock drafts, Joe Tipman, Maisie Smith. And Who the hell is Joe Tipman? You know, Joe that even is. No, uh, <laughs> interior offensive lineman from Wisconsin. I've not seen anywhere. I've seen Maisie Smith a little bit. I've not seen Joe Tipman uh, or Hendon Hooker anywhere. I don't even have Joe Tipman in the top 50. Not to say that I'm the end-all be-all, but like he he's not on my list as a possibility to even make it in. And it's not to, not to shit on a guy because he's probably a really good prospect, but he's not a first-round talent. Uh, you know, again – a little noise, you know, Jordan Addison going to the Giants at 25 in Kuiper's draft. The aforementioned Joe Tippin going uh, interior offensive line in Jeremiah's draft, which I think is uh, is pretty interesting. we got a couple guys just trying to look at some um, guys that are also popping in both. Will McDonald, um, defensive edge out of Iowa, going to the Jags in Kuiper's draft at 24. He's the last pick at 31 in Jeremiah's draft. This becomes interesting because we get, you know, Odds on, will a guy be a first-round pick? Um, these things are interesting to, to continue to take note of. Um, the Cowboys are not trading up in either of these drafts to draft Bijan Robinson. I think it's an interesting point, but they are drafting defensive linemen in both. Um, I mentioned Maisie Smith out of Michigan. I have seen some guys like him as an you know, interior defensive lineman. I think his over-under will be a little bit higher. That's actually one that I have written down to maybe look at when that first pops out. If he does get a number, I think – I like the ender there. Some some teams seem to really like him. Um, the other one that Kuiper has, I'm going to butcher this poor kid's name. I really don't know how the defensive end out of Northwestern, uh, Adedebe Ware, 
Uh, he is definitely a mover up in draft boards. I think he is really interesting. Uh, another guy to, to take a look at. Uh, tested very, very well. Um, I think the you know, tape is questionable, but like size speed stuff is is kind of off the charts. 280 pound guy running like a, a four five four um, is pretty insane uh, in terms of you know when we think of like that's what basically Jackson Smith and Jigba just did uh, at his pro day, and this this kid's like six two. 280 out of Northwestern that's going to get some teams attention. So those are names to kind of watch out at. And that's kind of, I think the best way to, to approach back end the first round is what do you see kind of popping up in a bunch of spots? What I think is interesting that Jeremiah has, when we talk about the tight end market, Connor um, Dalton Kincaid going early as the first tight end off the board, 16 to the commanders, Michael Mayer all the way down to 29th with the, uh, the saints there. Kuiper has them way closer uh, 18 and 21 with Mayer going first. Um, one has Darnell Washington, Kuiper does. Uh, again, I still am in the mindset that under two and a half tight ends is going to be the play there. I get the need for the Bengals, which is where Kuiper has Washington landing. I think offensive line or defensive back, like a safety, makes more sense for the Bengals at this point. But uh, what are your thoughts on the tight end market and maybe some of the other names kicking around down at the bottom? Yeah, I originally had Kincaid in my first mock at 16 to Washington. I had Michael Meyer there uh, afterwards because I just think from a fit perspective, they're a team that I think will probably want to run the ball a little bit more and he's a better blocker. And so Kincaid obviously would add something as a pass catcher, but I would imagine they'd want the more balanced guy. But again, that's just kind of me projecting my opinion there uh, in terms of where they go. I think they're very much free reign to be at this back half of the first round. There was some buzz about, Michael Mayer potentially falling down the board a little bit. And then after his initial push as being kind of like the guy, you know, like the next mid round tight end to potentially develop into a versatile, you know, blocker, but can also run routes and pass catch. Uh, he's kind of some lost some of that luster and kind of pushed him back towards the, the end of the first round here. And that's something that uh, multiple people have reported. So for me, I think that that, I guess, like lowers the, two tight end thing here because I was pretty interested in an over two and a half tight ends. I thought that we'd see Darnell Washington sneak into the first round, but if you're not getting a Michael Mayer until the end of the first round, like, I mean, it's really thin to get Darnell Washington there as well, because Mayer by almost all accounts is far more complete uh, as a, from a prospect perspective, Darnell Washington is just more athletic. So for, for my perspective, I think under two and a half tight ends, if it pops is, a, is an interesting look here, but again, we'll kind of have to see how this buzz goes for the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that market, Scott? Yeah, I think uh, I think these two guys, it's it's really going to be Kincaid and, and and Michael Mayer. I do not like the fit in Jeremiah's draft with Michael Mayer to uh, New Orleans specifically. You know, they they just re-signed Johnson as a free agent, and um, you know they've been kind of piecing together um, with Adam Troutman, solid blocker, and then Taysom Hill is kind of that other ath athlete there. And, and specifically when it comes to to New Orleans. Look, their their defensive line is in shambles right now. Um, you've got Jordan, Cam I mean Cameron Jordan, who's, you know, towards the end of his career, definitely on the downside. But right now, especially like the interior defensive line is kind of where I look at them going. You've got Kalen Saunders, Nathan Shepard, and Carl Grandison rounds out the rest of their defensive line right now. I don't think they're going to be able to make many more moves in in free agency to to address some of that. And, and so they've got Peyton Turner, who hasn't really panned out since uh, 2021 over the last two years. He's been more injured. He's going to have to go ahead and, and, and kind of slide into another one of the defensive end roles. But with, with his injury history and the way he's played over the last two years, I think New Orleans is live to go defensive line, you know, early here in the, in the first round at 29. And that's what Kuiper has them doing with Brian Brise, who again was uh, early in the process, pretty commonly a top 10 pick. Uh, he is all the way down to 29 in Kuiper's and he is not appearing at all in Jeremiah's mock draft. So that's again, um, interested to see what the books do in terms of over-unders with maybe some early consensus versus some of the latest consensus on some guys. Cause you might get some opportunities with, you know, Brise and uh, Quentin Johnston in particular guys that uh, definitely showing up later in drafts in comparison to where they were say in, in late January, if you happen to be uh, grinding this stuff like we do, cause we're psychopaths, but uh, this is, you know, this is what we do. Um, you know, the other stuff, again, another name that is popping in both of these, which again, I think is something to, to look at is another name. I don't want to butcher, but the 31st to the Chiefs for Kuiper is uh, Felix. Uh, I'm going to go Uzoma. I'm going to skip his hyphen name, not to butcher that. He's also going 30th to the Eagles. 
uh, defensive end out of Kansas State. So again, the name that we have not seen a ton, but a name that is moving up and is uh, you know appearing here in both of these mocks, where very possible that you see maybe an over under say in like the low 40s or high 30s um, in terms of where this guy has been previously um, and maybe you know some real nice plus money going in the first round when that number comes out originally because this is uh, you know something we need to kind of watch as we get more of these pro days and more of these uh, commonalities in the back end of the first round Connor um, to wrap it up anything that uh, pops out of you to to summarize both of these drafts uh, no, I think, I think we've covered uh, most of it here. I think some of these names at the end here are ones to consider when we get the market, that'll be like to be a first round pick. A lot of these guys are probably gonna be plus money. It doesn't mean you should fire on them right away, but, uh, you know, we've got hit some great ones over the last few years where players start to get a little bit of buzz towards the end. And, uh, you know, you can get these a plus money again. You're not, you most likely do not have to lay any juice on like these kind of fringe guys here towards the end of the first round. So definitely something to watch for. How about you, Scott? Uh, anything in uh, wrapping up? Yeah, I think uh, you kind of hit on Azuma there, and uh, he's a guy that when I scan through mock drafts, he's not generally mock draft in the top 50. So for two guys that are tuned in with some of these these franchises and stuff, both to be getting him in, in, in their their top 31 there, uh, I think there's that's some noise and, and something that's actionable that you can pay attention to. The other thing that I'd kind of hit on is with some of these guys like Kalaja Kansi and, and some of these other guys, not all of these players that are projected in the, the top 30 are uni, universal fits, meaning that you need to start looking at some of these teams on the back 10, back half of, of the first round and, and kind of start placing players that are a proper fit to the schemes that some of these teams run. You know, naturally, you don't want to be projecting a 4-3 into a team that runs a 3-4 and, and whatnot. So like Kalaja Kansi, he's a guy who has a, a high range of outcomes, you know, all the way from like 15 to, you know, the bottom of the first round, pick 31. So you know, when you're looking at some of these things to to play in and trying to start matching players to teams, just be aware of, of scheme fit and that and that not all of these guys are universal talents. Yeah, it's a great call. I love what Jeremiah did for the Lions. If I was a Lions fan, to get Witherspoon and Cansey, I think are fantastic, fantastic fits. It answers a little bit of the Carter question that we had in terms of what Kuiper mocked, and uh, yeah, I think those things matter too. Continue to watch free agency again. We are, we're outside of the eye of the storm, but we'll continue to have free agent news, and that can dictate uh, things that we see teams do. If teams you know start to get in on you know picking up fifth year options for guys, things like that, those things can uh, can impact. Uh, positions as well so uh good stuff as always a reminder head over to four for four.com you can check out connor's latest mock draft um scott will have another one i'm sure soon i'm hoping to have one here in the first week of april uh competing with uh some you know master's homework that i'm trying to get in all at the same time uh which we're excited about but again four for four.com slash plans for the betting subscription gets you access to all the actual picks that we make in terms of betting this and again you can partner with or jump in with our partner over at vivid picks Use promo code 444BETS, deposit a minimum of $15. It's a pick'em site. You're familiar with other pick'ems out there where you can uh, build pick'em parlays. Um, I don't know that they're going to have draft stuff, but again, you can get in on all the other stuff. We're covering NCAA on the betting side. Uh, Scott's doing MMA, NBA, all that stuff. So um, if you are watching on YouTube, we appreciate it. Subscribe. New channel here, 444BETS. We have a 444 football YouTube page where you can get most of your fantasy football content. Uh, the betting side is going to be staying here on 444BETS podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Again, reviews, thumbs up, five stars, all those things help us immensely. So for Scott and Connor, I'm Ryan. We'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.